Proverbs chapter number 15. I'm going to read one verse. Verse number 8. The Bible says, The sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination of the Lord, but the prayer of the upright is his delight. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we do thank you again for another opportunity to come out to your house tonight. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to stand up and preach behind your pulpit. Lord, I pray that you be with our pastor tonight as he's away preaching. Lord, I pray that you touch those that are sick and unable to be here tonight, Lord. Lord, I pray that uh, you'd hide me behind the cross, use this unworthy vessel, Lord. Bring back to my remembrance those things which you've shown me. Lord, I pray that your son be exalted and highly lifted up and highly praised. And Lord, as a result, people would be drawn unto him. And Lord, it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, verse number 8, the sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination of the Lord, but the prayer of the upright is his delight. We've got to play, as the teen class, uh, their favorite game called the definition game tonight. Now, that word sacrifice, oftentimes in the Old Testament context, we think of them taking an animal, slaying it, filleting it, putting it onto an uh, altar, and then offering it up as a burnt sacrifice or a burnt offering unto the Lord. But in the Old Testament, there's many types of sacrifices. That was a sin sacrifice. We all know the picture that was depicted with the Passover feast in Egypt when God led Israel out of Egypt. There was to take a lamb that was without spot, without blemish. They were to offer that lamb up as a sacrifice unto the Lord. They were to take the blood of that lamb and strike it on the post of their door. And when the angel of death passed over Egypt that night, all the households that had the blood of the lamb applied to the doorpost, the angel would not visit that house. But those that didn't have the blood of the lamb applied, those houses, the firstborn of every child, and you go study it out, firstborn of every animal that they owned, the life would be taken of that child or that person or that animal. Okay, well, we think of a sacrifice as that kind of stuff. Once a year, Israel would take a lamb, they would set it up for weeks to observe it, to make sure that it was out spot without blemish. That was a sin sacrifice to push back the sins of the people for one year. But if you study your Bible, there's many types of sacrifice. We can go over to the book of Luke, where Jesus, when he was about 12, they went down to Jerusalem to worship for what? Passover. And as they were down there, they were making sacrifices. It was not a sin sacrifice. This was not the sacrifice that the high priest would take into the Holy of Holies in the temple. These were sacrifices that were not for sin. In fact, Mary took Jesus up on the appointed day to offer a sacrifice of two turtle doves. What was that for? That was a sacrifice of praise unto God and of purification. That the child, which was born in sin and born in iniquity, that God would have his protection over him. Right? Purification because, hey, delivering a baby can get pretty messy. Okay? And it was to sanctify the ones that had not only been born, but also had delivered the child. Okay? Different, you know, there were peace offerings. There were praise offerings. There were many types of sacrifices. Go study the book of Job. It said Job made sacrifices daily. Not just for himself, but for his children also. He was making 11 offerings every day on the altar. So it's not just for sin. Right? There are many types of sacrifices. Really, what we would contextualize this in, it's not talking about the sacrifice that Jesus made. It says the sacrifice of the wicked. Right? This is talking about the sacrifices that people make. So 
really you could call it lump it all together any type of offering that you give towards God anything that you say I'm going to give this up so that God can be glorified in my life okay those praise you know they burnt incense inside the temple from sun up until sundown why so there would be a sweet smelling savor under the Lord there was the meat offering which is something that you're not required to give but you just wanted to take out of the excess that God gave you and give it back to God because of how appreciative you were that God gave it to you. Right? Many things in your life can be you know, categorized as an offering towards God. Right? It could be your prayers towards God. Which, hang on a second, we're going to get to that. That's the second definition of the definition game. But it could be the time that you allot to study. It could be the time that you allot to learn a new song so that you can get up in church and sing praise and glory unto God. Right? It could be the time that you devote around the house of God. Whether to maintain the grounds or maintain the facilities. Or all them times that Brother Ray has to get on the ladder and give everybody else a heart attack to change one of them light bulbs up there and he's swaying around like this. Okay? A sacrifice can be anything that you give up in order to further, in your mind, the agenda or the purpose of what God has given you in your life. Okay, so second he says that the sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination, but the prayer of the upright is his delight. Well, what's prayer? Well, according to the New Testament, there's four types of prayer. Okay, there is, he calls prayer. We'll get to that here in a second. But he says there's intercession, there's supplication, there's the giving of thanks and prayer. Okay, in fact, the Apostle Paul said that he would, that men everywhere would lift up holy hands continually in prayer. Right? Well, what is prayer? Prayer, to be broken down, is communication with God. Okay, we know that Daniel prayed morning, noon, and night. And that because Daniel was in a faraway country, he always prayed facing which direction? Back towards home. He was always praying where he knew God was, which is where God led his people to. God's promised land. Right? It was a symbol of the fact that, Lord, I know that I'm not where, in your picture, in your plan, right? you would have desired me to be in your perfect will, but, Lord, I know you're still God. I know which way you, know, you always move from. Where's that? That's the house of God. So he was pointing himself towards God. Right? The New Testament tells us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Right? But he was just communicating with God. Don't know where this came from. We're going to say it anyway. Right? What did Daniel get sentenced for? The decree that the princes passed said that no man would ask anything of any man except for the king for 30 days. Right? We don't know what Daniel prayed. Daniel could have just said, Lord, you said that we're supposed to respect those that are in authority over us. And Lord, you promised to meet my needs, so I'm not going to ask you for anything for 30 days because that's what the king has signed off on. So Lord, for 30 days, I'm just going to praise you and bless you, talk to you how appreciative I am that all the things that you've given me. That me, a man who was taken into captivity, could have been killed at any moment. Now he's been elevated to where he's ruler of all the princes of the dominion. He was number two in line behind the king. He said, they gave me a new name, but Lord, I'm real thankful for that name that you gave me. That was Daniel. They called him Belteshazzar. He says, Lord, I'm thankful for my heritage, where I came from. That name, Daniel. Right? We don't know that Daniel was asking God for anything. But yet, they saw him praying, and they thought, well, he must be asking God for something. Let's put him in the lion's den. 
Right? Nobody ever stopped to think, well, what if Daniel was just talking to God? Because that's what prayer is. Supplication, what's that? You're asking God to intervene on somebody else's behalf because it's something that only God can do. Right? Either in your life or in some intercession is lifting somebody else. That's bearing one another's burdens. That's lifting somebody up for, Lord, do something special for them. Lord, I don't know what they need, but you put them on my heart. I just pray that you'd do for them what I can't do. Or you'd purpose me to do something where I can be a blessing to them. What's the giving of thanks? Well, that one's pretty self-explanatory. That's where you just get so overwhelmed with what God's done. You, all the things that you were worried about, they go out your mind. And all you can think about is how good God is. And you just want to praise Him for a little while. Yeah. But then there was prayer. What's that? Just talking with God? Didn't the Apostle Paul write over in Corinthians, pray without ceasing? Right. Always talking with God. That open channel of communication for not only you to speak to God, but for God through the Holy Ghost to speak to you. He says that the prayer of the righteous, that communication, that fellowship, that continual talking, right? that's supposed to never cease. What did he call it? He said, it's his delight. It ever dawned on you that you talking to God with a clear heart with no iniquity between you and him because we know if you regard iniquity in your heart he doesn't even hear your prayers but when you're in the will of God and you set aside time to sit and just talk with God that God delights in it now see I know the mindset brother Ron people say well what can I do for God do you ever realize that you can make God happy that the very holy God in heaven who said let there and then everything that is created was created Right, that the God that saved your soul, you can put a smile on God's face. You think, well, we're just old sin cursed. Well, we used to be sin cursed, but we've been redeemed. Okay, in His eyes, we're robed in the righteousness of His Son. In His eyes, we're already seated in heavenly. Our conversation's recorded there. He's already seen it as if it has already happened. He's seeing it as if it's happening right now, and He sees where we are and how we're going to get there. All that put together, God doesn't see you as what we are now. He sees you as the finished product. And when the finished product, which by the way is this spitting image of His Son, Jesus Christ, takes time to talk with His Heavenly Father, it delights our Father. Right, well, then third word definition, abomination. It says that the sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord. Webster's 1828, if you go there, first off, you're going to find two Bible verses giving you examples of what the word abomination means. Hallelujah. Okay, that's why I like that dictionary. But two, one of them is this verse. But anyway, uh, abomination is something that is extremely hated. Right? We know the old wives' tales and the myth of the abominable snowman. Okay? The snowman was abominable because he was an abomination. They hated him, okay? Because in their mind, he did a whole lot of bad things that caused them a whole lot of trouble. So they hated that thing. Well, in your Bible, anytime that you find that something is an abomination unto God, that means that a holy God hates it. He doesn't just dislike it. There's a lot of things that God dislikes. There's a lot of things that God won't tolerate. There's a lot of things that God catch judgment on but there are a few things in the Bible you find that they are an abomination unto God 
He treats them with extreme hatred. Well, what are some of them things? Well, you don't have to turn there, but if you go back a few pages, Proverbs chapter number 6, starting in verse number 16, these 16, or six things doth the Lord hate. Yea, seven are an abomination unto him. These are just seven. But, he says, verse number 17, a proud look, a lying tongue, and hands that innocent blood, a heart that deviseth wicked imaginations, feet that be swift in running to mischief, a false witness that speaketh lies, and he that soweth discord among the brethren. Those are seven things that God extremely hates. You want another example? All that LGBTQ and the alphabet people, God hates that. That's an abomination unto him. Not according to Brother Jordan, according to the Word of God. There are things that move the heart of God. God saw your sin-afflicted state and He loved you. Some things God will look past because of His love towards you to send His only begotten Son, that He would die on a cross, dying the death of a murderer, which is what He took the place of, Barabbas. Dying the death of one that is hated. Jesus was an abomination to the Jews, which is why they delivered him over to be crucified by the Romans. And the Romans exacted all of that hatred and vengeance, not for what he had done, but for our sins. So that he could become our spotless lamb. There are some things that God will look past because of love. Abominations. Those are things that God doesn't look... He doesn't just skirt over it. Right now there's a whole... Well, it's not new. It's been around for a long time. They call themselves by a whole bunch of different things. Probably the most common, Brother Clint, would be free will Baptist. They believe that as long as you're saved, you can live however you want, and God's going to accept it. Not according to His Bible. Amen. There are some things that even after you get saved, God still treats it as an abomination. But well, if God extremely hates it, if we do those things, God sees us as wicked. Because He hates those things. And for those things to be found in the life of His child, they've defiled themselves. Amen. They are no longer robed in the righteousness of Christ. They've forsaken that garment, and they've put on their own garment. Right. And that garment speaks of wickedness, rebellion. Rebellions is the sin of witchcraft. Right? It is those that have feet that are quick to run towards mischief. Right? You can't be at the Father's house and be an abomination unto God. Because if you're at the Father's house, you're dressed the way that the Father wants you to be dressed. You behave yourself the way that the Father expects you to behave. You're appreciative for the fact that the Father has laid out such a spread for one that we feel is undeserving. But He sees you as His child. When you're at the Father's house, in the story of the prodigal son. Soon as the prodigal son came back, what did he do? Put a robe on him. Put a ring on him. Not just a robe, or right? the best. Amen. He cleaned him up. Because when you're at the father's house, you've got to wear what the father wants you to wear. Father won't put up with those dirty rags. No, he wants you to have the best. Because he gave his best and his only begotten son that you'd be saved to make you into the best. Like that song that Miss Chloe and Miss Brittany just sang. He could take this old clay vessel, but he could turn it into a vessel of honor for him. Amen. And when you're at your father's house, you're going to look like that vessel. 
But feet that are quick to run towards mischief, guess where they take you? Away from the Father's house. When you get away from the Father's house, that's when the things that you do are abomination. That's when, I mean, go back to our text verse. Look at verse number 9. The way of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord. But he loveth them that followeth after righteousness. You know where following after righteousness is going to lead you? To the Father's house. Because that's the only place you can find it. You know what the way of the wicked will do? It'll take you away from the house of God. It'll take you away from the Father's house. It'll take you to that far country where all those things that God's blessed you with, you want to spend them to try and enjoy them in the world. You cast them away. Just like they cast away Jesus, who they thought was a stone unfit to be used. But God said, no, that's the chief cornerstone. Those things that the world says, we don't want anything to do with that. you got to shuck that in order to hang around with us, in order to associate with us. But those are the very things that God blessed you with so that you could be what he wanted you to be. Can you understand how the way of the wicked is an abomination? Because in order to walk it, you've got to throw away everything that God gave you when you got saved. You'd give away your own salvation to walk the way of the wicked, but God promised that once he saved you, you couldn't lose it. Because it's not dependent on who we are, it's dependent on who he is. He saved us and promised to hold on to us. Not just once, we're in his hand, his hand's in the Father's hand. Even if Jesus lost all power, the Father still got us in his hand. God's saying there's no way you can lose it. But yet, those blessings in our lives, those things that God has bestowed upon us so that we can be a more perfect image of his son, you've got to throw all those away to walk the way of the wicked. And once you're in that way, everything that you do is what? Wickedness. Because once you a little leaven, leaven at the whole lump, we said that in Sunday school this morning. But the unleavened bread, you take a little bit of leaven, a little bit of yeast, doesn't matter how much, doesn't just raise one roll. No, all of them got a little bit of yeast in it. Right? Us hillbillies, we say what's good for the goose is good for the gander. Right? Well, if it's right for somebody else to do, why isn't it right for us to do? In fact, if we really dig into verse number 8 on that sacrifice of the wicked. Now again, wickedness, somebody not living the way God wants them to live. Because in God's eyes, what is it? It's holiness or it's wickedness. He said, be ye holy for I am holy. Peter wrote it and it's in the Old Testament. Doesn't matter which way you want to go in your Bible, you're going to find God expects holiness. Doesn't matter where God found you, you know what he expects? Holiness. Doesn't matter how far you've come since you got saved. You know what God expects? Holiness. And anything that isn't holiness is wickedness. Because anything outside of God is what? It's sin cursed. It's wood, hay, and stubble. It's going to burn up in a fervent heat one day. God will judge those wicked things and he'll find no place for them. That's why they'll be consumed. But he didn't tell us to be holy because we couldn't be holy. No. Why would God command you to do something that you were incapable of doing? He wouldn't be a holy God then. If he said it was a sin not to be holy and told you to be holy, Brother Phil, and you couldn't be holy, God would make you a sinner. God never made anybody a sinner. Sin is a choice. We chose to be sinners. So if he says to be holy, you can be holy. You know what one of the fruits of being holy is? The rest of verse number 8. 
the prayer of the upright is his delight if you're holy you're going to be upright the Bible said Job was an upright man who feared God and eschewed evil you know what that means he had a reverence of God first and foremost in his life and you know what eschewed means it means he hated evil Job got so close to God that those things which were abominations unto God were abominations unto him he hated them because he knew that they'd come between him and God and he didn't want any association with it he hated it so much he'd tell other people hey if you keep doing that you're going to lose God's touch in your life he was a man that according to your Bible the princes came to and sought counsel of because they knew that Job knew the mind of God why? because Job had the same mindset that God had didn't the apostle Paul let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus you can have the mind of God in your life you know what it takes verse number 9 right but he loveth them that follow after righteousness those that delight God those that live in the manifest presence of God's love in their life it's those that seek after righteousness and it's those that are upright in their lifestyle now I don't know where the mentality came from that because we still live in this sin cursed flesh because we are imperfect because until we get to heaven we're not going to be what you know we're not going to be the finished work of what God started when he saved us that that gives us an excuse to live a life that's wicked in the eyes of God now all of that's true but the Bible says we're more than conquerors through Jesus Christ you can overcome all those things in your flesh that we can't get rid of until we get to glory whether we go through the grave or whether we go through the air he brought you made you a king one of those you know Jesus Christ, king of kings and lord of lords well he's the king of a whole bunch of kings in his family because he made you a king when he saved you it's not just talking about earthly kings no it's talking about the brethren because he said he made each one of us a king to rule and reign over this flesh he gave you all the tools all the equipment all the knowledge and he promised that the Holy Ghost being the one that would lead and guide you into all truth that he would teach you one of my favorite verses from the book of prophets if any man lack wisdom let him ask of God which gives all men liberally you want to know something ask God he'll tell you he may not give you the answer that you thought you were going to get but he'll give you the answer that you need he'll give you what you need in order to live a life that's pleasing unto him anything less than pleasing in God's eyes is wickedness so what the Lord's help we want to teach on tonight are you an abomination or a delight are you an abomination or a delight that sacrifice of the wicked that is an abomination unto God clearest example would be Cain and Abel Cain and Abel were raised the exact same Adam and Eve instilled in them the same principles that they distilled in the other there was no discrepancy there God when Cain took all that vegetation and all the fruits of his hands and laid them on an altar and offered them up to God the reason that it wasn't accepted is because Cain knew better if Cain was ignorant of it God would have instructed him so that he didn't do it again but Cain knew better Abel was the one that took a lamb took one of the livestock and offered it up as a blood sacrifice because according to the New Testament without the shedding of blood there is no remission of sins the wicked are those that expect God to be impressed or satisfied with their standards 
I'll give him, we can go back to Proverbs chapter number 6, right? A haughty look, a prideful look is an abomination unto God because whenever you get in the way, you're going to mess it up. You know why salvation's perfect? Because it's not dependent on man. Do you know why the Christian lifestyle is pleasing unto God? Because it's not dependent upon what I can do. It's dependent on what Christ has already done in me and promised that he would continue to do as I continue to walk with him. Do you know why the church house is the only place that there can be any help for people in this world? Because it's not about what man can do for you. It's about what God can do for you. And God meets with his people down at the church of God. The one that he paid for, the one that he bought with his own blood. And he called them out as an assembly so that they would have one another to lean on in a world that's wicked. So that they wouldn't be alone, even though he promised he'd never leave us nor forsake us. Jesus did one better. He said, I'm going to make you part of a family too. Not just a heavenly family, but one down here on earth called the church. So that you have helpmeets. Those that are fitly framed together. Okay, but that... Uh, reason that the sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination is because they know better. Since the dawn of time, man knows that God created him. God breathed into Adam's nostrils, breath of life, man became a living soul. There's a part of your soul that knows there is a God. Because of that very fact, it doesn't matter where you go on this earth, somebody, even out in the most remote jungles, where maybe man has never made, civilized man has never made contact with that uh, community before, they're worshiping something. They know that they're not enough on their own. And whatever deity that they have created, they've got a set of rules that they say, well, our totem pole or our graven image, whatever it is that they're worshiping, is only satisfied with this, 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 and this. Why is it? Because man himself knows that he's not enough. Man tries to make sense of the world, ever learning, but never able to come to the knowledge of truth. Right? They'll never understand the whole picture on their own, but they know that they're not enough and that there's a list out there that they need to be checking. You know what that list is? The blood of Jesus. It's a whole lot shorter in the world to tell you that it is. Right? But the abomination of the wicked, the reason that their sacrifice is an abomination, because instead of using God's standards, they use their own. I can't get to the first point Brother Donald will stay. I don't care how much you've practiced I don't care how many notes you hit perfectly how much vibrato's on it whether it's a straight note whether it's a flat or a sharp you can sing every song meticulously perfect in the eyes of man and God can consider it an abomination you say why is that Brother Jordan? Because God said to make a joyful noise unto the Lord. You know what God delights in? We've already read it in verse number 8. The prayer of the upright. Verse number 9 tells us that he loveth him that followeth after righteousness. You know what righteousness is? Christ. That's why we're supposed to look like him. If you get up and sing about how much you love him, how much you desire to be like him, and it's true deep down in your heart, that's a delight unto God. He inhabits the praise of his people. But see, praise is not a noun. Praise is a verb. Praise is not a thing that if you do it, God's going to be satisfied with it. 
No, praise comes from a place in your heart and it's you speaking to God from your heart. Being honest, being truthful, transparent with God. True praise is not dependent upon me. It's dependent on what God's already done or what God has promised that He will do. But see, the song of the wicked, it's all about them. It has nothing to do with God. All the words may say that it's about God, but their actions and, more importantly, man looks on the outward appearance. God looks on the heart. In their heart, it's all about them. They're doing it for the praise of man. They're doing it so that they get a handshake from the preacher. Hey, you want to sing again next week? They're doing it for selfish reasons. You know what that is? That's a sacrifice. You gave up a whole lot of time to learn that song, to find a song that you thought was a good song. Right? Because there's a whole bunch of them out there that are a whole bunch of nonsense. Right? And you went through all the effort of learning it, memorizing it. Right? You went through all the effort of picking out which key was the right one for you. And you practiced it until you thought you had it down perfect. The only problem was is that God wasn't within a million miles of it. Because it was an abomination unto him. Now see, the prayer of the upright is his delight. You know what's not a delight unto God? The prayer of the wicked. When everything about your life has said, I don't need God, I don't care about what God's standards are, I have no desire to be what God wants me to be, but yet you kneel down and you ask God for something, it's like you're slapping Him in the face. No wonder He hates it. Not just hates it, fervent hatred. Right? That is the person, it'd be like your boss on the job. Some of y'all are bosses on the job. But that'd be like you being the boss and somebody who works the least, calls in sick the most. When they're there, you can't find them. They spend more time in the bathroom or in the break room than they do at their desk doing whatever it is they're supposed to do. And then that person comes in and asks you for a raise. It's an insult. It's the same thing in God's eyes. But, well, the sacrifice of the wicked is self-centered. The sacrifice of the righteous or of the upright is Christ-centered. They don't give up their time because they want something. They do it because of the love that they already have for God. The sacrifice of the wicked is looking for God's approval. But if you study your Bible, as long as you live right, you are already approved of God. He said that you've received the adoption of sonship. We were born into the family. One of these days we're going to be married into the family. God approves of you so much, He wants to add you to the family three times, not once. He approves of what His Son did on Calvary so much that we have become joint heirs with Him. You have already received all the same benefit or all the same possessions that Christ has. Well, what's that? Everything. We haven't received them yet, but we're entitled to them. God gives them to us one day at a time. You realize that when you got saved, when the Holy Ghost did the work that only the Holy Ghost could do, you say, well, how did God save me? Not quite sure on that. That's something that He knows how to do. I don't. Okay? And He does it right every time. Okay? Nowhere in the Bible does it say you've got to understand how God saved you in order to be saved. It just said that if you asked Him in faith to save you, that He would. They don't know how God quite did it. But whatever the Holy Ghost did to separate your soul from that sin-cursed part and apply the blood that took away all your sins, right, preserves your soul for all of eternity, however that happened, in that moment, God approved of you. 
Before that, God desired for you to have his approval. That's why he let somebody come your way and tell you about how Jesus could save you. Amen. The moment you got saved, in God's eyes, you were exactly what you needed to be. So all those going around thinking that they're not enough, they got a problem down here. Not saying they're not saved, but they're looking at a different set of qualifications or criteria than what God does. God said those that pursue or look search after righteousness those that have an upright heart upright spirit upright life those are the ones that God approves of right? but the wicked they're, they're looking for God's approval when you deviate from what God already did and try to impress God with it you're saying that what Jesus did on Calvary wasn't enough you think God's going to be happy with that no he hates that because what his son did on Calvary was the perfect will of God. Amen. He was the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. God knew he would always be enough. And he always will be. So when you think you have to impress God, what you're saying is, well, Lord, I can be more impressive than Christ. No wonder he hates it. Because the haughty spirit of man says, well, I can do some pretty cool things, only by the grace of God. Amen. He made you what you are. He gave you those abilities to use for His honor and His glory, not to magnify your name. We were bought with a price. Our life is no longer our own. It's not about what the world thinks of me. It's about the world seeing Christ in me. It's about me getting as small as I can get so that Christ is as big as He possibly can be in my life. That's when it comes to these abominations, these sacrifices of the wicked. We've already hit on it a little bit. First one, it's a sacrifice of, of self, of pride. God's not impressed with who you can be. God's impressed with obedience. Because you know what that is? That's an act of faith. It don't make sense that God would be satisfied with somebody who can't carry a tune in a bucket, gets up and sings a song that nobody really likes, but yet if they sing it from the heart, God considers it worship and praise. You say, well, that don't make sense. You know, everybody, America's got talent, and before that, you know, X Factor, American Idol, they're looking for people that can sing good. Yeah, because they're looking at their standards. God doesn't say that you've got to meet the world's expectations. You've got to be obedient. Lord, it scares the living daylights out of me to get up and sing in front of people, but you gave me this song, put it on my heart, and I'm going to stand up and sing it, not because I care what they think, but because you told me to sing it. You know what that does? That doesn't magnify itself. That magnifies God. But pride says, well, if I get up and sing well enough, God will be impressed with it. No. You understand that Lucifer was the minister of music in heaven? The Bible says that he was full of instruments in the book of Isaiah. That means he can make whatever sound that God desired to hear. He sang, you know, he directed a choir and all the music in heaven with angelic beings that don't make mistakes, that never hit a wrong note. God's got angels flying around his throne every second of every day that has ever been, saying, Holy, holy, holy. You think you can sound better than them angels? No. But God delights in the prayer of his children, the upright. Why? Because by faith, not seeing him. Not beholding how holy he is and him flying around his throne singing holy, holy, holy. Not understanding that God stepped out on nothing and made everything. Right. We believe it, but we can't wrap our head around how he did it. Right. 
One that we've never laid eyes on, but yet we desire to see him so much. The one that was the minister of music, he rebelled against God. He didn't sing good enough to get out of crossing God and trying to betray God. Because he wanted to sit on the throne and be magnified above Jesus. Didn't matter how well he sang or how well those musical instruments that he had sounded, God wasn't impressed with it. So if the one that was made to be chief among angels, to sound the best, to look the best, couldn't get away with pride being a sin in God's eyes, what makes you think we can get away with it? In fact, he reserved a place for that being called hell to inflict eternal punishment upon him. God doesn't desire us to die and go to hell. I mean, Ms. Rhonda sang the song. Praise the Lord, I'll never have to go to that place. I've escaped, I have been saved, redeemed. But yet, if I embrace that mentality, you know what I'm doing? Same thing that Lucifer did. Well, it doesn't matter what God said, he expected. I can be more delighting unto God if I do it my way. Nope. You know what pride has a real big problem with? Obedience and submission. Did not Samuel tell Saul when he said, what's this bleeding of animals that I hear? Why is the king still alive? Because God told you to leave none alive. Man, woman, child, or livestock. Saul said, well, we was going to take them uh, animals and we was going to sacrifice them unto God. God didn't want it. That's why he said to kill it. Samuel said, obedience is greater than sacrifice. You know what the problem that the wicked have? Not saying they're dying and on their way to hell, although it does apply to those that are lost in sin. But you can be on your way to heaven walking very wickedly. You want to know what the mindset is? I can do something to impress God. No, you can't. Their mindset is, well, if I do this, I can do it a certain way that God's still going to be okay with it. No. Their big problem is, is they don't want to admit that they're not enough. That's what you had to admit when you got saved. Whether you said the words or whether it was something that you felt in your heart, you realized you weren't enough and you needed Jesus. You want to know every step of every day afterwards? You know why Jesus promised to never leave us nor forsake us? You know why he told that crowd one day that if he, he had to go? Because if he didn't go, that the Comforter couldn't come. He said the Comforter's better than having Jesus Christ walking on the face of the earth. You know why the Holy Ghost is such a sweet companion? Because not only does he with you every step of every day, he promises to keep your steps in line with God. He promised that he would let you know when what you did wasn't up to God's approval. He promised to let you know how you can improve. How God wants to make you more into the image of his son. You weren't enough on your own that you would be able to live up to God's... So why do you think God would be impressed with anything that we can make or fashion? Doesn't matter how much effort you put into it, how much you gave up, how great of a sacrifice it was. I'll remind you, Jesus sitting over there by the treasury saw all them Pharisees cast great amounts of money in. He said, God's not impressed with that. You know what God was impressed with? The sacrifice of faith. That old widow woman who had two mites left to her name. That wasn't even enough to buy enough food for her to live on the rest of the day if you study out what two mites were. But yet God saw it as, Lord, 
I can't even make this make sense. But by faith, I'm going to give it to you. She said, Lord, long before I, I ever had it, whether I had $100 bills in my wallet or I've got this, I've always depended on you to meet my needs. So, Lord, you can have this even though it's all that I've got left because you've always had me. That's submission. Lord, I'm not smart enough to make it ends meet on my own. Right? Nobody in here, okay, right, wrong, or indifferent, you can take the biggest amount of money that the world has to give you and go to the stock market. You cannot say that this is going up and that one's going down. Right? There are people that can sort of read the handwriting on the wall. They know how trends work. But in truth, you can't make ends meet on your own. Even if you had all the tools, all the capabilities, were clay, were dirt. Look at the history of man. Every time man gets involved, messes it up. That's why the founders of this nation said, we're not founding this off of how smart we are. We're going to found this off of the principles and oracles of God. That's why they had the desire not for a country made by human hands, but fashioned by the hands of God. We're not what they desired us to be. But the only reason that we are what we are is because they've started on the right foot. And for a while, people desired God more than they desired the White House. For a while, those in office took it as a burden from God that they were entrusted with the welfare of their fellow mankind. So they prayed to figure out what God wanted them to do so that they would do the right thing. They weren't satisfied with how good they looked in a suit or their powdered wigs that they started off with. They weren't impressed with how smart their intellect was. They were impressed with what God said. But pride, that'll mess a whole lot up. Now you got people who get in office thinking, well, how much money can I make before they figure out I'm a fraud and then kick me out of office? The schemes and the machinations of man, right? That's what's caused all the discord across this world. And it's all because man's too prideful to say, I don't have the answers. You can labor, you can work your fingers to the bone, but if you're not doing it with the right heart, if you've got a haughty spirit, if you've got a pride problem, if you don't want to submit to what God says your life should be, it's wickedness in the eyes of God, and it's an abomination. He hates it. Did not Jesus say that on that day many would come and say, didn't I prophesy in your name? Didn't we cast out demons in your name? Didn't we do all these marvelous works for you? And God's going to depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Wickedness. It's not about the name that you did it in, it's about the spirit that you did it in. Why do you think the Apostle Paul wrote that we're supposed to try the spirits to figure out whether it's of God or it's of not? Because there's a whole lot that the world's real good at and imitation's one of them. Bible says the devil can be transformed into an angel of light. They can make anything look like it's good for just long enough for you to believe it. But when we humble ourselves and say, Lord, I know that of myself I'm not enough. But you promised that you made me into something that was pleasing unto you. And I don't know why you're pleased with me. I don't know why in the world you would delight in my conversation. Or why 
me following after righteousness in your son. I don't know why you love me because I love you and I live a life. It says that he loveth him that followeth after righteousness. God loves you, but loveth, that's a verb. God is love. He can't help but love you. But when it says he loveth him, that pursues after, what that means is he shows out that love. God loves every person that's ever been born. Very few live in a constant state of God pouring out His love upon them. You know why that is? Because very few humble themselves and say, Lord, it's not about me, not about what I can do, not about all that I understand. I'm just going to follow after righteousness, even though righteousness to the flesh doesn't make sense. Even though righteousness to the world is a bunch of folly. Even though righteousness to sometimes even church folk Oh no, that's that's too extreme. That's radical. Right? That's too conservative. Well, no, it's what God said. Those that follow after righteousness, in spite of everything that they have to face, God pours out His love upon them, makes it manifest in their life. Not because they're anything special, but quite the contrary, they realize that they're not special. We can go one book over, Ecclesiastes. There's nothing new under the sun. Man's tried every way that he can conjure to impress God. You know how many of them have worked? None. You know all the desires of man all end to the same thing? Death. You know that all the labors that you store up when you die, they're not going to be yours no more? goes into somebody else's storehouse. Doesn't matter how much you try to set aside. Doesn't matter how much you try to make things work. It all ends in the same thing. You going out into all of eternity. God's not impressed with what you can do. God took dirt and made man. You think that what you can do is going to impress him? No. But, we can go to verse number 26 of Proverbs 16. The thoughts of the wicked are an abomination to the Lord. The words of the pure are pleasant words. You know why the thoughts of the wicked are an abomination unto God? Why he hates them? Because the thoughts of the wicked dwell on wickedness. You know what wickedness does? takes you further away from where God wants you to be. Now see, when you were lost, the Bible says that you were blind, that you were in darkness. But after you say, I mean, we sing it all the time. But once I was lost but now I'm found I was blinded but now I think the choir sang it this morning right we had no idea how bad we were right we were ignorant of our state until God came and showed us where we were and what we were until the light of the gospel shone in your life you didn't know how bad off you were right you had been deceived as the Bible does you had been ensnared you were a slave to sin, but you thought you were free. That's the deception. Right? That's the lie of the devil that he's told from the beginning. That sin will set you free when in fact it puts you in chains and in bondage. Right? But the thoughts of the wicked are ones that continue in that path. The thoughts of the wicked are never satisfied. In fact, the thoughts of the righteous can never be fully satisfied outside of heaven. 
whether you're aiming toward God what's what, what God wants you to be or whether you're aiming towards what you want to be you will never find a state where you say I have arrived there's pleasure in sin for what a season it does not satisfy in fact after a little wickedness which according to God is still a lot of wickedness doesn't content you you know what you'll try more wickedness and when that doesn't work you know what that'll bring about more wickedness because your heart is set upon your thoughts and how you think that everything's going to work out. Likewise, the desire of the Christian is to what? Be like Christ. You can be more like Christ today, but no matter how much like Christ you were today, you can be more like Christ tomorrow. That desire will not be permanently fulfilled until we get to heaven. We always have a goal. We have something to strive for. Right? There's always something we can do to improve. Your satisfaction as a Christian doesn't come in what you are, but in what you will be. Amen. The satisfaction of the wicked is based off of how they feel in that moment. You will never be satisfied rejecting what it is that God delivered you from and He puts you into a new creature by rejecting the fruits of the Spirit, by rejecting His Word, by rejecting His guidance through the Holy Ghost, you're never going to find satisfaction. You're never going to be content. You may be entertained. You may distract yourself for a while from your current state, but you can never get away from the fact that God is not accepting of your current lifestyle. Some people take very poorly to that. What did Cain do? He killed his own brother. He was so angry that God rejected his sacrifice that he killed the one that God was satisfied with. You want to know why people throughout history that claim to be Christians hurt people? Because they got exposed and instead of addressing the problem, they took it out on those that were trying their best to live towards what God wanted them to be. Right? If wickedness was something that could satisfy you and make you content why would you get angry at anybody else because you would have what it is that you wanted the only problem is is you never get what you want that's God's seal of approval that you impressed God God's not impressed with what we can do you know what God is impressed with faith because without it it's impossible to please God you know why the way of the righteous is a delight unto God? Why the upright are those that He chooses to love, show His love out towards? You know why in verse number 26 it says, but the words of the pure are pleasant words? You know why that is? Because by faith we believe that what we're doing is best. We just believe that God's ways are better than our ways. We believe that He can take base things and confound the wise. We believe that everything that the world says, there's no way that'll work. We believe that with God, it's going to work. Because without Him, nothing's possible. But with Him, all things are possible. It's not dependent upon me, it's dependent upon Him. The way, we always have a desire to be more like Him, but we can take satisfaction and peace and hope in the very fact of who He is. He promised that if we came unto him he'd no wise cast us out 
Even those prodigals that leave his house and reject him, he still receives them when they come back and repent. God doesn't cast anybody out of his house. People have to choose to walk away from God's house. You have to leave the Father. The Father will never leave you. The way of the wicked is one that rejects the Father and embraces their own. That's why God hates it. That's why in verse number 26, the thoughts of the wicked are an abomination because there are thoughts that take you further away from where God desires you to be. God hates any... Did we not read over in chapter number 6 that anything that causes discord among the brethren was an abomination unto God? When your thoughts take you further away from the brethren, that means you're not part of the body that God fitly framed together. That means that you've caused discord by your absence at the house of God. You think God's going to be okay with anything that takes you from where God put you at? Where God grafted you into a family where only you can do what God desires you to do as part of that assembly of God? God's not okay with that. That's why, Brother Ron hit on it real good this morning, the not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is. You know why God pin that down because God hates whenever you're not where you're supposed to be because when you're not there somebody else has to take up the slack when you're not there you're causing discord among the brethren but you say well I didn't do anything to cause any trouble no but by being there but by not being there you cause trouble we think that the problem is those that show up and cause discord among the brethren but when you're not where you're supposed to be it causes discord it causes something other than perfect harmony in the house of God, which is what God desires. How many times did he write, be of one mind, be of one heart, have this desire in you, that we all be the same when it comes to our desires about God and in the house of God, which is what? Christ first, and we're all trying to be just as much like him as we can be. We're all asking God to make us more like Christ. We're all asking God to show us someone that we can go out and shine a light to. We're all asking God, Lord, wherever you want us to go, we'll be linked up arm in arm because we know that the gates of hell cannot prevail against the church of the living God. You know what the thoughts of the wicked do? They stop all that from happening. And you know what the thoughts of the wicked, what their end result is? If you think about it long enough, you're going to do it. God knows that wicked thoughts eventually lead to wicked actions. Why do you think he wrote that as a man thinketh, so was he? Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Whatever's in here, whatever's in here, it works its way out. You can't stop it. It's just how God put you together. But when what's down here and when what's up here revolves around things going on down at the Father's house, because you've purposed to be upright, because you've purposed to pursue after righteousness, when that's your desire here and here, you know what's going to come out? Pleasant words, according to verse number 26. Things that instead of causing discord, they bring unity. They bring the lost to the one that can be their savior. They bring the prodigals back to where they can be a part of the family. They bring those that are hopeless to the one that can give them all the hope. Those that are broken to the one that can mend them. Those that have been cast out into a place where they will be accepted. They are pleasant words. Not just to the hearer, but also to the Father in heaven. 
that said, I want you to be one that goes out and finds lost things. Brings me broken pieces that he can mend together. One that stops on the side of the road and pours oil into the wounds of one that may hate their guts. Because he was a Samaritan, but yet the man who was injured was a Jew. The Samaritans were outcasts. They were half-breeds. They were ones that you had no association with, but yet that one stopped to one that hated him. Poured oil in his wounds, bound him up, paid for his recovery, and anything else that was needed while he was gone. He said, when I come back again, I'll settle whatever debt I have with you. That's what God desires. Those that take no thought of what people think of me. I only care about what you think of the one that I serve. Think of me what you will. But he promised that if you taste and see, you'll discover that the Lord is good. Amen. Just try him. I know I'm nothing. I'm not impressed with me, let alone do I expect you to be impressed with me. But I know you'll be impressed with Jesus. Amen. Those thoughts are the ones that God delights in. Lord, it's not about me. Thank you for doing for me what I couldn't do for myself. Thank you for making me more like Christ. Lord, thank you for showing me where I'm not like Christ so that we can work on it and you can continue to work on me on the potter's wheel, molding and making me into what it is that you would desire me to be. Those are the thoughts that bring about a life that is upright and one that pursues righteousness. That we've gone longer than I already wanted. So as Brother Ray and Miss Renee come, Brother Josh, as you come, we'll say this. The reason that God hates the way of the wicked is because it tramples on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. It tries to throw the blood of Christ out the window because they think they have no need for it. And it brings a bad reputation to God's people. You know what all that revolves around? The name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Anything that's contrary to what God said was perfect, God's not going to be satisfied with. But anything that loves and desires and wants to have more of that perfection in their life, God's going to be pleased with, God's going to reward, and God's going to do for you what you couldn't do for your own self. But anything short of desiring what God told us to desire, God's going to hate it. Not just hate it, fervently hate it. And the results will be in your life. Because if God hates what you're doing, He's going to chase them. He's going to bring about judgment. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever you show, that shall you also reap. That's it, Brother Josh. If you enjoyed today's message, head on over to ibcflorence.com and click on sermons. And don't forget to check out our other links in the notes section of today's broadcast. As always, thanks for listening.